So I just have a couple of reflections from our lectionary this morning for this Sunday. We first look at Ruth. Uh, There are four short chapters in the book of Ruth. So you you may want to read them in case you bump into her in the life that is to come. And uh, you can say to her, it'd be a great conversation to say to her, I I read that book about you, right? (laughs) The book opens with a lady named Naomi. She's an Israelite who has lost everything. Her family had moved to Bethlehem to this pagan land of Moab. And uh, because of this severe famine, we know it was a desperate move because Moab was an ancient enemy of Israel. And it would not have been the place any Israelite would have chosen to live if things were not desperate. So after she and her husband and her two sons arrive in Moab, uh, the boys got married to a couple of Moabite women. They were there for a bit of time. And then the men started to die. First the husband, her husband, Then her two sons both die. We're not given the details, but we know they're gone. And so the book opens really with Naomi being desperate and grieving over these great losses. And in the ancient culture like this, a woman that is completely not having any men in her world, um, it meant that she had no legal rights. And it meant that she would have to live a life of powerlessness and destitution. Thank God for the ongoing liberation of women in our day. Let it continue. Early in the story, Naomi chooses to return to her homeland in Israel and to not stay in Moab. And she tells both of her daughter-in-laws in verse 8 of chapter 1, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. The one daughter-in-law named Oprah ends up going back and staying in Moab. But Ruth clings to Naomi. And she says that famous phrase from the Bible that most of you have heard, probably not within its context, where she says, uh, Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. So both Naomi and Ruth head out to Israel Again, remember, Ruth is not an Israelite. She is a Moabitess, and she's outside of the story of God's people. The Moabites were most often the bad guys in the Bible. And so she would have faced real personal shunning on an individual level. I mean, think of the unfair profiling that happened to Arab Muslims after 9-11, that kind of thing that was going on. This would have been happening to her. But Ruth embraces the role of Naomi's daughter and and became a, a, she's an immigrant, but she becomes an example of God's faithfulness. The tension in the middle of the story was this pervasive food instability that they had. And because these two women had no legal standing, everything seemed hopeless. They could only gather what they could for any particular day. And Naomi had land from her family, but she couldn't access it because she was a woman. And uh, the solution that Naomi ends up imagining creates this huge ask to Ruth, her daughter-in-law. Naomi asks Ruth to present herself to an older relative of Naomi's, a guy named Boaz, for marrying him. It turns out that Boaz was a kind man, The only thing the Bible really says about him is that he's a man of noble character. 
uh, but this is not love at first sight, right? And uh, nor is this romance. This is an arrangement to some old burly guy that would provide security for both Ruth and Naomi. Imagine what was going through Ruth's mind, right, for this arrangement. <laughs> I mean, how would you like to describe your spouse as, well, um, uh, at least he has good character. <laughs> it's not nothing, but is it enough? For Ruth, it was. Here's what we can learn from a story like this in the Bible. Sometimes faithfulness is wrapped up in sacrifice and loss. And more than it is in self-actualization, even though that's good, but getting what you want and feel or get what you want or need, you feel like you need. Those things are not bad things. Those are good things. But sometimes faithfulness means not going after that, but being willing to sacrifice and experience loss. Being, um, there are times in your life where it's good to go after the things that you need and we're encouraged to pray about things that we need and even things that we want. Jesus at one point says, ask that your joy might be full. So there's no question about it. God is interested in your wants, interested in your needs. But there are times in your life where it's better to put others ahead of you and your wants. And it's, it's kind of the seed principle that you guys have run into when you've just read casually the scriptures. Um, it's a metaphor that's deeply embedded in the Christian faith. Uh, we see it in the words of Jesus in John 12. Jesus says, very truly, I, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it only remains a single seed. But if it, the seed, dies, it produces many seeds, multiplies. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So Jesus is throwing this out there, <laughs> that sometimes we win and sometimes we lose when we're faithful people. And Jesus is saying there are times that unless you're like the seed that's willing to die, you'll never hit potential. When you think about it, the whole idea of being a seed and being willing to be buried alive is not really very good for a seed at all, right? Um, yesterday, I went out to the backyard and I found a couple of acorns are showing up around the house in about this time of year. And I found these two little fellows right next to each other. I mean, they have a life. And um, they're friends. And if you could talk to them um, and say to them, hey, how's it going? They respond nicely. But for them to hit their potential, what you'd have to talk to them about is that they're going to have to go on a death journey. They're going to have to be put into the ground and buried and then die. Most of us die and then get buried. But they've got to be put into the ground, buried, and then die for them to become whatever their potential is. Now, the potential of the seed, what if that's the principle uh, of the heart of faith in the human experience? Not all the time, not even most of the time, but sometimes. What if being faithful to God sometimes means you need to be willing to let the circumstances you're in and the life that you're experiencing be buried, 
not put first, and in some sense die in order for the transformation of what's within, the potentials of what are, what's within you or within those circumstances can come to life. This is a principle within the heart of faith. It's not always about winning, at least immediately. Sometimes the win comes post-death, right? We see that in the grandest story of Jesus' death and resurrection to start a new world, a new age. So that principle of death and life comes first with a willingness, not just being abused into it, but a willingness to open yourself up to situations that others would say, you should, I don't know if I'd want to do that. There is a time for sacrifice and for selflessness. Maybe, maybe this is that time for you in your life. A little over 22 years ago, I broke faith with my wife, Gail. I was going through a raging midlife crisis and um, without even knowing that such things existed. I was spinning and making all the wrong choices. Those of you who know Gail knows she is a very strong, confident, selfless woman. And when she heard of my unfaithfulness, even though it felt like a dagger in her heart and in spite of the, the judgment of others and the sheer embarrassment of it all, through her tears and through her pain, she grabbed my face. And she looked at me and she said, you are my husband and we will get through this. In that moment of selflessness, she saved our marriage. She saved our family. She saved my life. Now such things are not easy to recover from. Those kinds of things sometimes take years. But recover we did. What if always thinking about yourself and what you want doesn't always work and what if putting others first and putting the common good first is what's necessary to secure the kind of life that God imagines for human beings that would feel like death to us, to our personal preference? What we do see in the story of Ruth is that when a person puts others first and acts for the common good instead of just the personal good, or advantage, it causes something eternal to emerge. Through the story of Ruth, it's a sweet story from one standpoint, but it's so ordinary, you know, so seemingly unimportant. And then at the end of the book in our reading, we're surprised. And the text reads in verse 13 of chapter 4, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and they came together. The Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. That's the last word in that book, the name David. And those of you that are familiar with the story that we embrace in Judeo-Christian history, you know that David was the greatest king in Israel's history. And David is the one who God speaks of saying, he is a man after my own heart. 
Ruth, it turns out, is his great-grandmother. <laughs> the dedication, the selfless love that you see when you study and read the story of David mirror the same selfless commitments that were in his great-grandmother, Ruth. And though the writer of the book of Ruth never mentions God explicitly, never mentions God's name or the concept of God, God had been at work behind the veil of everyday ordinary sticking in there, faithfulness and selflessness through the characters in the story. Ruth could not have known that she was going to be such a central player in God's kingdom enterprise. And who would have ever imagined that God would have put smack into the story an enemy of Israel, an immigrant of despise. What if this is God's MO? <laughs> what if God loves to weave the spectacular from ordinary thread? What if he loves to do it in a way that most people miss? unless they're suspicious. Maybe being suspicious of God's activity in your everyday ordinariness is really what faith is. Dallas Willard wrote, quote, the obviously well-kept secret of the ordinary is that it is made to be the receptacle of the divine, a place where the life of God Flows, end quote. I mean, that was enough for the price of your ticket right there. Just, just sweet stuff right there, right? It appears that the beachhead for God to spill into a person's life is the dreaded ordinary. What if you and your ordinariness matter? I mean, what if being kind and generous and selfless on the job or in a marriage, or raising kids, or being single, or going to work, or all that stuff. What, what, volunteering at church, posting on Facebook, <laughs> or wherever you post. What if kindness and generosity and selflessness matter? Then we come to our gospel reading. There are a number of ways that you can read this gospel. But one of them is simply that God, Jesus is saying God is not impressed with the same things that most humans are. Reputation, position, power, money. In the text, Jesus remarks about those who walk around wanting to be greeted with respect. They wanted all the likes, like, 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 like. <laughs> These were the ones, he says, take the best seats in the synagogue and places of honor in the banquets. And Jesus is watching this group. They're coming to the temple, they're giving money, and some of them were giving large, or rich people were giving large sums, making some demonstration about it in the temple treasury. But Jesus isn't impressed with their status, with their power, with their wealth, with their generosity. Then in the text, we run into another widow like Naomi, but she never, we never get her name. In chapter 12, verse 42 of our gospel text, it says, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more money than all those who were contributing to the treasury, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, 
out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This woman was living in poverty. In that day, as today, people in poverty live on what they can scrape together for that day. And so she goes to the temple and uh, she decides to take what she had gathered for that day. Instead of using it for herself to get food or whatever, she decided to honor God with it that day. And Jesus noticed. He said she had given what she had had to live on for that day. Her love for God initiated personal sacrifice and selflessness in her. Love of God should do that for us. We shouldn't just love God so we have feelings emotionally or something we can get from God, but simply to let God bring out in us the kind of selflessness and faithfulness and love that the Bible constantly heralds. This is one of the great signs of true religion, is you have an impulse to care for others and things beyond yourself. So here are my takes from these readings today. I think we need to recognize that our connection with God shouldn't always be about us and, um, and what we want, and that the best of life usually comes when we put the needs of others first, dying to our own agendas, again, that principle of the seed. And then I think that God in those everyday sacrifices and those selfless acts, they are the beachhead of the eternal. They're hopeful for what God might do in our lives. And particularly from the gospel we just read, I don't think God wants what we have in terms of things like money that he was impressed, you know, by the people. The thing he was impressed by, by the money was how little it was, how minuscule it was. But what impressed him was God wanted our, God wants our life. He wants what we live on. In other words, what our trust is in. Are we willing to give up what we live on? Reputation. A position of power. How much money we can amass. These stories, and they're repeated over and over and over through the Bible, tell us that we should bring all of that to God and let God be who we live on, who our trust is in. Ruth and that widow from the gospel, Naomi, they all dared to live on God through putting people first. We're called to do the same.